0: We'll hear argument next in case 08728 Bloat versus United States. Mr. Stansel.
1: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, pretrial motion preparation time is not automatically excluded under Section 3161, H one of the Speedy Trial Act. Such delays are subject to exclusion only on a case by case basis under H seven. I'd like to focus today on three features of the statutory text that make that abundantly clear. First and foremost, when crafting H-1, Congress specifically addressed pretrial motion delays and precisely defined that exclusion. Subparagraph D declares that the exclusion shall begin with the filing of the motion and end with a hearing on or other prompt disposition of the motion. Reading the general language in H-1 to encompass preparation time would circumvent the deliberate legislative choice to limit the pre-trial motion exclusion.
2: The prosecutor's time to be excluded, right? That on your theory that it starts, the trigger is the filing of the motion, and it ends when the motion is disposed of. So the prosecutor might say, I need additional time. And that would be included in the suspension period, right?
1: yes your honor the government's motions and the defense motions are treated equally under h1 which is why the government's rule to treat defense motions or defense requests for additional time differently no, but. Oh, the, the exclusion i'm sorry your honor yes the, the exclusion begins with the filing of the motion be it the defense motion or the government's motion that is clear on the text the face of the text of the statute but the
2: clock <laughs> the clock would run on your theory during the preparation time of the defendant, it would not run during the preparation time of the prosecutor, so I don't think they're being treated the same.
1: No, Your Honor, that is not our position. The clock runs up until the moment of filing, whether it is a defense motion or a government motion. No,
2: no, I'm talking about the prosecutor's answer to the defense motion.
1: Oh, yes, Your Honor. Their response to the motion, it is told, uh, de- the, the clock stops during the preparation of the response by either side, and that was a deliberate legislative choice by Congress. It says, on the, on the face of H-1, it says, the clock stops at filing and, it, and remains stopped through the conclusion of the hearing for other prompt disposition of the motion. That was an express choice by Congress. It was not lost on them that a response time would be treated differently. And the government's suggestion that that, therefore, means we should uh, factor back in preparation time. Shouldn't
2: we be looking <laughs> um, One point that I would like you to clarify, I, I understand you didn't take the position that the interest of justice would be the route to take, where the judge would have to stop and make a finding. In your view, would it be appropriate, assuming your interpretation of B-1 holds for us to send the case back, or is it too late because the interest of justice finding was never made?
1: It is too late because this Court answered that question, that very question in Zedner, and held that an H-7 ends of justice finding cannot be supplied retrospectively on remand. That was a precise question put to this Court, and it was rejected uh, by the Court unanimously.
2: But do you think it could be found It doesn't have to be found on the spot by the judge. When is the latest time the judge could make the interest of justice finding?
1: Zedner says that as long as it is made or the latest it could be made is the time by which the district court rules on the motion to dismiss on on Speedy Trial Act grounds. So it can be made in the district court up until the time the district court decides the speedy trial motion. It does not, at least, it is left open at, in Zedner. So, so
2: the result in your case would be that the case is dismissed. Period. And that's.
1: Yes, Your Honor. It would be dis, it would be remanded in to, with instructions to dismiss. However, the district court it remains for the district court to determine whether to dismiss with or without prejudice, according to the factors specified in the act.
3: Is it clear that uh, a period of time? Um, attributable to a defense request (coughs) for time to prepare pretrial motions can fall within H7? Because H7 speaks of a continuance. Isn't that a very, wouldn't that be a very odd use of the word continuance? If you, if you make an application to a judge for time, additional time to prepare pretrial motions, do you say, I want a continuance of, of the date on which my pretrial motions are due?
1: I think that's not an unusual reading of the term continuance, yes, Your Honor. I think they frequently, trial counsel will frequently ask for a continuance of the date. But what I think both parties agree is that that is how the courts almost universally interpret H-7, that any time that is excluded, even if it doesn't result in the moving of the trial date per se, is treated as an H-7 exclusion.
3: But the courts of appeals have almost universally read H-1D or overwhelmingly read H-1D to apply in this situation as well. I'm sorry, not H1D, but the, uh, the 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 introductory phrase.
1: Yes, Your Honor, but this rule isn't confined to pretrial motions. So even in those jurisdictions that follow the majority position uh, at issue here, also, to my understanding, use H7 to exclude intermediate delays before trial. In fact, in the government's brief, the government acknowledges that courts treat pretrial motion delays under either H1 or H7, uh, and, and more specifically, H7. B four, which specifically speaks in terms of preparation. And in fact, that's still further evidence that Congress specifically contemplated that preparation time would go under H H7. seven. Both H seven B two and H seven B four specifically direct district courts to consider the need for additional time for adequate or effective preparation. And Justice Alito, back to your back to your concern specifically with motions. B two specifically refers to pretrial proceedings. So I, I think there, in that sense, there's evidence that Congress didn't think that a continuance under H-7 would refer only to a continuance of the trial date. At least, at least that, that's, that's my understanding. Counsel,
4: at the time that um, H-1C uh, was or D was being looked at, wasn't it a fact that some circuits had um, reviewed the prior exclusion is applying only to the date in which there were actual hearings before the court yes your honor so isn't it shouldn't we be looking at what it did with respect to this time period in light of the need that it was addressing
1: yes your honor and the and congress did decide to expand or clarify the end point and beginning point of the H1D exclusion well
4: what's wrong with the logic of district courts who have ruled in, this, in the Government's favor that say Congress was only looking at that particular part of the proceeding, what related to the hearing the filing of the motion and its actual adjudication, but they weren't considering a motion by the defendant for time to investigate, and that can be another proceeding. Can you imagine a situation in which a Court grants that adjournment to a defense attorney where we would reverse that finding by the court? I'm sorry, you're going to reverse it? It would seem to me that if a defense attorney comes to a court and says, I need an adjournment, the court says, you can have it. Isn't that implicitly a proceeding in which the court is saying there's a need for this?
1: Not in the speedy trial uh, uh, context, Your Honor, for, for two reasons. First, it's not a proceeding, there is no pretrial proceeding until the motion is filed. That is is the definition of a pretrial motion proceeding. It is a formal initiation before the district court.
4: Proceeding doesn't mean an an act before, it is an act before the court, the entire action is before the court, but it is a proceeding in which the defense attorney is looking at whether there's anything to file motions about.
1: If that were correct, Your Honor, then preparing your witnesses is a proceeding respecting trial. I think that takes proceeding and expands it so that everything would be excludable delay. But if if I may return to your original question, Congress did look at preparation time when drafting H-1 and h 2 Well, the Senate did. Pardon me. Yes, the Senate Judiciary Committee specifically considered a proposal by the government, no less, to include preparation time, and the Committee rejected that proposal as unreasonable. I think this is simply not a case in which we are left to guess whether preparation time was on the table. It was on the table, and it was declared unreasonable uh, to suggest that it would be within the automatic exclusion. Moreover, I think that makes abundant sense. It's not the case that simply asking for more time necessarily means that you have some prejudice in the speedy trial context, or even that the trial date necessarily would move. In this case, uh, the Council requested the extension for pretrial motions. That extension was granted. The trial date held. It wasn't moved until much later under an H7 exclusion on unrelated grounds. So I think it's a, I think it's a false uh, Uh, a a red herring, if you will, for the government to suggest that when the defendant asks for something, it's necessarily, it it ought to be granted, fair enough, but that it's necessarily going to prejudice the speedy trial calculation. With respect, I don't think that's the case. I think ordinarily, these things will come very early in the speedy speedy trial clock, and there'll be relatively brief delays. And so I think it's quite reasonable to think that district courts could be allowed to give more flexible preparation time to decide whether to file, what to file, and then the exclusion starts with the filing. And I think Congress has made that abundantly clear in — on the text of the statute.
2: That would certainly encourage judges who don't want to get involved with making findings which you have to do to satisfy interest of justice to just say, motion denied. I'm sorry. I'm not going to let you um, have the clock run while you are You're asking me for a favor. You want time to prepare and the clock is going to run in the meantime, forget it. You're not going to get the extension.
1: I disagree, Your Honor. First, I think courts will grant them when necessary. Again, because it is early in the clock, there won't necessarily be speedy trial, some sort of speedy trial prejudice to the government. But moreover, all this means is that the court needs to put findings on the record to say this is preparation time that's legitimately needed, the defendants' interests uh, here outweigh the public's interests. And so I'm going to grant that, on, and I'm going to put those findings on the record. And I think it's clear from the, the, uh, from the statute that that's how Congress anticipated this would work. But I, I, I don't
2: what, what must the judge uh, — the judge must make a finding, orally or in writing? Can the judge say, okay, I'm giving it to you in the interest of justice?
1: I think — I don't believe that precise question has come to the Court, but Courts are very permissive in terms of how much needs to be put on the record. And it's my understanding that this happens quite literally every day in, in scores of contexts where Courts, as long as they make the finding, it's reviewed for an abuse of discretion only and that's sufficient. So, is,
3: so the rule that you're arguing for really will accomplish nothing other than to benefit uh, a small set of uh, defendants who uh, — who got pretrial preparation time in reliance on court of appeals decisions saying that those
1: could be done without making explicit ends of justice findings on the record? No, Your Honor. If we are correct, and the decision will have a significant effect on the public's interest. In fact, an individual defendant has very little to gain from such gamesmanship as the government suggests would be at issue. What you get is a dismissal of your indictment with or without prejudice, and there are no statute of limitations problems. How is the public going to benefit if if,
3: uh, all the judge needs — presumably, district judges are not granting these uh, extensions of time in situations in which they do not think that uh, the ends of justice are served by granting the extension of time? So what is going to be served by requiring them to recite this, to make this rote recitation on the
1: record? First, Your Honor, it's not rote. It it specifies four factors that they have to consider, including in B4, it says whether the time is necessary for effective preparation, taking into account the exercise of due diligence. What what putting this under H7 and making that uh, process required will do is weed out the very worst sorts of delays where counsel, even uh, for the defendant or the government, comes in and asks for the delay without the exercise of due diligence and without any showing that this is actually necessary. And, and I think that's exactly what Congress was doing by not putting this under the automatic exclusion in H-1. If it's automatically excluded and there's additional time granted for no reason whatsoever for, for something that wouldn't meet the due diligence standard in B-4, the speedy trial clock is effectively lengthened automatically.
5: Could, could, could you tell me um, how it, <coughs> it works in district courts? This district court set September 13 originally for the, for the motion. Do the district courts generally uh, have a custom um, schedule for every case uh, where they set times, or do they have local rules on the subject?
1: With respect to pretrial motions, specifically, yes, it varies widely from district to district. For example, in some districts, the default is 21 days. So, if you try a case in Chicago, you go to arraignment. Your pretrial motions, unless set by a, a different rule, are due in 21. And that's
5: that's part of, that's that's there in the local rule of court.
1: Yes, Your Honor. Uh, In D.C., it is 11 days. In many other jurisdictions, and here, there is no set time limit. And one of the problems, one of the fundamental problems with the government's rule, that a request, a defense request for additional time, must be treated differently and and, and does stop the clock is that gives speedy trial consequences to those variations in local rules. So in districts where you have a very short standard time frame, the defendant has to run in if he wants to file pretrial motions and stop the clock almost automatically, if you have, say, your motions are due automatically in seven days, you've got to run in there and stop the clock. As a practical matter, the speedy trial, the 70 days, it's that much longer in those districts because you've got to stop the clock, compared to districts where, say, 21 days are are ordinarily allotted. Well, they may not have to stop the clock, and it's clear that Congress did not. But I'm
5: not sure that that isn't, that that argument doesn't cut both ways. I mean,
1: I'm sorry, Your Honor. I'm not
5: sure that if you have a, a district where you have five days, a very short period, and almost nobody can comply, comply with it, then maybe that's a, an, an argument for the government's rule.
1: I, I disagree, Your Honor. I think that illustrates the problem, because if there's a, let's call it an unreasonably short time period in this district, the speedy trial clock only burns for four or five or days or a week. And then someone's going to have to run in and stop it. And so those trials are just going to take longer. Let's assume that it takes two weeks on average or three weeks on average to prepare a reasonable pretrial motion. Well, in those jurisdictions that have that local rule, the short local rule, you get two extra weeks on the speedy trial clock because you have to run in and hit stop on the clock by asking for additional time. In those districts that give you 21 days by default, by contrast, that whole 21 days counts against the 70 days. And that is, I think, I think that's an essential judgment that Congress made. It decided on Well, I, I,
5: I think an, an, an assumption in your mathematical analysis is that there will be a, a difference in the time that it takes to dispose of the motion. If the, if the time to dispose of the motion is the same, then you're wrong. I, I don't think I, I'll, I'll work it out. I,
1: I don't believe so, Your Honor. I, if you assume, hypothetically, 21 days to prepare, right. 21 days to respond, then and, and call it 21 days to rule. Right. In a district that allows 21 days uh, of preparation time, by default rule, 21 days will burn, and then 42 days with response and ruling. In a district that allows only five days, five days burn, and then you have to stop the clock for the additional 16 days of preparation, plus 21, plus 21, you end up, effectively, if the difference is five days or 21 days, there's an 86-day speedy trial clock in the district with the short rule and a 70-day speedy trial clock in the district with the local rule and with the twenty one day rule. And so I think it's and it's clear that what Congress did not want in the Speedy Trial Act was these time periods to be amended by local rule effectively. And that's what would happen. I think more fundamentally the well, what does
3: that show because the disposition time isn't going to be the same from district to district. Districts vary. That's correct. Congress could have required, as they have in some instances, that a judge decide a matter within a certain period of time. And they didn't do that they didn't.
1: That's not correct, Your Honor. In subparagraph H, 3161H1H uh, allows only 30 days during which a matter is actively under, actually under advisement by the District Court. So here they actually did set a 30-day clock on which to rule. There's an exception to that. If, if there's a hearing, subparagraph D says, well, you know, we're not going to govern the time in the hearing. And this Court's decision in Henderson gives District Courts flexibility in that regard when there's a hearing. But Congress was was pretty clear in trying to put a bookend at either end. It starts on filing and it ends with disposition, and we only give you 30 days (coughs) without a hearing or after the hearing to dispose of it. And I think more fundamentally, this is a quintessentially legislative judgment. Congress said "This this is a system of rules that we need in place to move cases more expeditiously toward trial. We're going to give you 70 days, we're going to inc- exclude certain things automatically, and we're going to give district courts flexibility under H-7.
0: Could the, a, a district judge, as part of his normal uh, pretrial order, say that I th- I'm inclined to grant mo- normal motions for uh, extensions, but I think, so we don't run into these problems, that it's in the best interest of justice that whatever time I grant, uh, I uh, c- uh, issue an order covered by H-7A. That avoids all this problem. I don't have to worry about the Speedy Trial Act when I grant you a motion uh, because whatever I grant you uh, is going to be excluded under
3: H-7A.
1: I don't — that sounds a lot like a prospective waiver of Speedy Trial, which is what this Court rejected in Zedner. If I understand the hypothetical correctly, if the district Court says, if I give you extra time, we're not going to complain about it later, um, I don't think that the Court could do that, and I don't think that would be consistent.
0: Presumably a judge can do it in every case. You're saying they can't tell you in advance this is what they're going to do, but they can do it automatically in every case?
1: I, I don't believe so, Your Honor. I, I think if I understand the hypothetical correctly, if, it, if we appear before the district judge and the judge says uh, exclusions or extensions for pretrial motions will qualify for H7, that sounds like, to me, in an individual case, a prospective waiver of that defendant's uh, speedy trial act. Wait a minute.
4: the defense attorney comes in to you and says, I'm a district court judge. Any time to prepare. Granted i 'm um, excluding time under seven a you 're saying that 's insufficient
1: no your honor if it 's done on a case by case basis where the, the time is requested and the continuance or the delay is granted with the h seven findings made either then or later, that would be perfectly appropriate that 's how but it 's not
4: okay for a district court to say um, you tell me how much or you have twenty one days to prepare motions and i 'm excluding
1: time because of that no I'm, I'm okay. sure i 'm not sure. I'd... I I apologize. I'm not sure. Local
4: rule from a district court judge. Defendants arraigned. You have 21 days to file
1: motions. Yes, Your Honor. That that time is not excluded if it is just set by local rule. But you
4: finish answering one earlier question. You said that um, there's no statute of limitations problems if we rule in your favor. Could you
1: explain why? Yes. Under the 18 U.S.C., I believe it's 3288 and 3289, essentially gives the government Six months after the dismissal of an indictment to re indict a defendant. And courts have almost universally held that uh, that applies, or I believe it's universally held, that that applies where the dismissal is based on Speedy Trial Act grounds. I I I think we're in agreement with the government that there's not a statute of limitations problem. Uh,
4: Could under that retrial provision the court begin excluding time?
1: The the Speedy Trial Clock starts anew after a new indictment. That's what I mean. Yes, Your Honor. That is clear under the statute. Um,
4: Do you have any idea how many convictions would be at risk for reversal under this rule that would be currently pending and subject to a ruling in your favor now
1: i don't know my supposition is that it's not very many the government certainly hasn't suggested that there are a lot Um, it would have to be cases within those eight districts or pardon me i guess it would be nine or ten that have either not taken a position or take the government's position in which the defendant raised this argument in the trial court. In a timely manner. In a timely manner. So I think we're, we're, if that is the case, it's an exceedingly small number. And for that matter, that would be a problem in any case in which this court uh, reverses an incorrect ruling.
2: Uh, is, is there any indication in the circuits that follow what seems to be the majority rule that is, that the clock is stopped during preparation time that there have been excessive delays in comparison? to the, what is it, two circuits who go the other way?
1: Uh, Not that I'm aware of, Your Honor, but nor has there been any indication that district courts in the two jurisdictions where they get the rule right, in our view, deny defense requests for additional time. I think think this rule will matter if you assume that the average pretrial motion extension is relatively modest and that the lawyers are fairly reasonable in what they request. We're talking about, you know, additional delays of a week or two weeks, but that is again that backs right up into the congressional judgment, the legislative judgment that Congress made, and so those trials will, on average, in the majority of jurisdictions, I think, just take that much longer to get to trial.
5: Well, what what is your systemic concern uh, with the with the government's rule? The judge has to grant the continuance um, under under either under either of your rules, and you say he has to make this good. Are you concerned that continuance has began because he has to play because the attorney wants to play golf or take a vacation with his kids and that that's not the cause? Well, that, I mean, that is, is, is that's what's driving your concern.
1: Well, that would that would be that is the most important function of H seven to screen out the truly unmeritorious delays. That's what Congress wanted to get out. But wouldn't the judges
5: in many cases do that anyway, or just in the course of deciding whether to grant the continuance? Well, the court may give 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 me the consequences of of ruling for the government. That, that, that you seem that are adverse in your
1: view. The consequence ruling for the government would mean that any time a defendant needs any extra time, or, or we, we would say, you know, either time needs any extra time, the clock stops. And so, any time you need additional additional time for pretrial motions, there's no balancing. So, in the routine case that rec- that is not complex, where the where the defendant's counsel may be just simply not exercising due diligence, you could ask for two weeks, and there's no. There's no balancing. The District Court doesn't even have to ask what's the delay, you know, why the extra delay, and that time is automatically excluded. But that's my point. I, yeah.
5: I assume the District Judge will ask, or
1: is this, in, in or do you doubt that? I'm sure it will vary from court to court, but in the absence of and H7 and putting it on the record, the District Court is certainly not required to ask and, and may not, certainly won't put those findings on the record. And I think this court made that point very clear in Zedner that H7 balances substantive open-endedness with procedural strictness and the procedure is what matters and Congress made that explicitly clear in drafting H7. If I may I'd like to reserve the rem- remainder of my time for rebuttal.
0: Thank you, counsel. Mr. Roberts?
6: Mr. Chief Justice and may I please the court. Additional time granted for preparation of pretrial motions is automatically excluded from the Speedy Trial Act's deadline for commencing trial. For three reasons, that time falls under Section 3161 H one, which excludes delay resulting from other proceedings concerning the defendant. First, Section H1 excludes delay resulting from various listed proceedings and other proceedings that are analogous or ancillary to those proceedings. A Court's grant of additional motions preparation time is ancillary to pretrial motions themselves, which are a listed proceeding. It facilitates the motions because adequate time to prepare them is critical to their fair and accurate resolution. The exclusion is similar to other excludable delays that result from proceedings ancillary to listed proceedings.
0: Could could I ask uh, a specific date question? Am I right that you would exclude the time from September 7th? To October fourth.
6: Yes, Uh, the time from September seventh to October fourth.
0: Well, that doesn't. I'm not sure that makes much sense. Before the motion for extension was filed, the hearing date for pretrial motions was September twenty. After the extension was filed and granted, the hearing date was October fourth. So the only period of delay that you could say resulted from the extension was from September twenty to October 4th, or 13 days. Well, Well, how can you possibly count the time uh, as a delay uh, uh, after he filed his extension up to the point when things would have been due anyway?
6: Well, the delay is just the time that's being used for preparation, um, which was uh, presumably the time uh, all the way up uh, to the period uh, in which the uh, waiver of the intent to file motions uh, no, was how, is a,
0: how is the time being sent for preparation a delay when some of that time was going to be allowed anyway? Well, I think the Act — In other words, the motions were not due until September 25th. So I don't see how the time he spent before then can be regarded uh, as a delay.
6: Well, that's, that's a result of the fact that uh, the Act doesn't exclude uh, the time before a routine deadline um for filing uh the motions uh because it only excludes the time uh the delay resulting from an individualized proceeding but it makes sense not to exclude the the time before the routine deadline as a general matter because if you excluded all that time then you uh the result would be that the basic deadline of the Act would be extended and time would be excluded in cases where no time was being used for consideration or preparation of pretrial motions.
0: But What is the the proceeding from which you count in determining what should be excluded?
6: The time running from the uh, order of the district court granting additional time.
0: Okay, but that order, that proceeding was initiated and ruled on the same day. Person comes in and says, "I'd like time." The judge that same day says, "Yes."
6: The re- that the re-
0: proceeding takes a day.
6: The request, the request for time, that proceeding was done, but the order, uh, the order granting additional time, um, is a proceeding, and the additional time that the additional
0: was, time flowing from the order is a proceeding.
6: The the order, an order, is a, a step in the case, an act of the court, right. and it's a proceeding. Um, and it's and that's one day. Yes, but it's the delay resulting from the order. Ah, now that, that we're, now, we're talking about.
0: Now, I don't see how that's consistent with the other provisions of the act. If you take H1A, that excludes delay resulting from any proceeding to determine mental competency. okay yes. And under your theory, That would include the time from the filing of that motion to the end of the uh, determination of mental competency, right? Uh,
6: I think courts have excluded from the filing of a motion seeking an examination, yes. Uh, uh, You could also, that would probably be excluded under H-1D. Well, Um, yes, Uh,
0: well, or yes, no, I'm looking at H-4. Now, H-4 excludes any period of delay resulting from the fact uh, that the defendant is is mentally incompetent. Right. Uh, it, it seems to me redundant uh, if you exclude the delay from the examination and then also exclude mental incompetence.
6: I, I don't think so, Your Honor, because uh, the delay resulting from the examination would would be excluded from the uh, order. Uh, granting the examination until the examination was complete, Um, and then there would be a determination of competence or incompetence.
0: All right. Well, let's look at H-1-G. That excludes delay resulting from consideration by the Court of a proposed plea agreement. But then H-2 says any period of delay uh, in which prosecution is deferred Pursuant to a written, de- agree- a written agreement with the defendant, for the purpose of allowing the defendant to demonstrate his good conduct, which sounds an awful lot like a plea agreement, to me. I, I don't. I
6: think uh, that that's a that that's a different uh, a different deferral, Your Honour. It's not uh, for the court's consideration of the plea agreement or even for negotiations. It's saying we're going to uh, take time out so that uh, the defendant can uh, demonstrate his his good conduct. I think that the plea agreement uh, provision is once the parties have proposed an agreement to the Court, the the Court uh, has time to consider whether it should approve that, and that time excluded. And in fact, Courts have excluded uh, the time uh, that the parties are engaged in uh, plea negotiations as ancillary uh, to that uh, provision of consideration of the closed pre agreement. If, if
0: I disagree with you that when the time that is extended before a hearing on the pretrial motions and the acceptance of a waiver, uh, which runs from 13 days, September 20, the original date, and the date that actually took place, which is 13 days, and if I think, contrary to your submission, which is that the whole time from the filing of the extension to the final hearing is delay, even though it was only 13 days that was pushed back, uh, then you lose, right?
6: Uh, I'm I'm not sure. If you think that that there's delay that results from the grant of the extension, uh, I don't think the petitioners ever challenged the length of the delay that was excluded. Uh, So the the only issue that's before the Court is whether uh, that delay is excluded. Um, I I don't don't know that the the petitioners preserve any argument about the length of the delay,
0: Your Honor. Um, Putting aside what petitioners may or may not have argued, uh, if I think that the delay is only how far the date for consideration of a motion and acting on the motion has been moved, in this case from September 20 to October 4th, in other words, that it's 13 days, not 28 days, then you lose, right?
6: I, I, I'm not sure that we lose. I, I have to confess that I haven't calculated the, the exact amount of time um, that, that that results. In any case, there well, are other I guess periods it would of be, delay take,
0: take 15 days. From what time you have calculated, and that—that's under the wires or above the wire. Yeah,
6: I'm—I'm I'm sorry. You're In other words, I'm
0: contesting 15 of your days, and you've figured out how much days you think can be excluded or not excluded.
6: Right. I guess I would say if there was some question about the length of delay, the appropriate thing would be to uh, to rule for us on the issue that's before the court remand to the courts below, allow them to decide whether the petitioners preserved a question about the length of delay uh, and what the effect is uh, on a rule that would only limit the uh, additional uh, delay. Um, You know, we also uh, have other arguments uh, for the fact that uh, we think that even if this time isn't excluded, that – based on uh, based on the additional uh, preparation time that there's still no uh, speedy trial act here that uh, we raised in the in the brief of op- in opposition and we would think that that should be taken into account on any remand like that uh, what was it what was well. the second
2: point you just made mr roberts that even if the clock is running you would still have an argument that you come within the 70 days because
6: uh, because the uh, on september twenty fifth a petitioner filed a uh, notice of intent to waive uh, pretrial motions, and then there was a hearing on that on the fourth and so that uh, filing um, would be uh, analogous. Uh, To a motion or uh, a motion that would trigger its own uh, delay, uh, that it would trigger its own exclusion of time, even if uh, the time starting on September 7th was not excluded.
5: Just for my my information, what's a motion to to waive? Why does he need permission to waive it? Um,
6: The the court had originally said, uh, the the court had originally uh, provided in its order that uh, on the deadline for filing motions, the, uh, the petitioner should either uh, file the motions or indicate uh, whether he wanted to waive the motions and then set a hearing on either one on the fourth. And that's what happened. After he filed that paper on the fourth, the, uh, the Court held a, a hearing and the defendant discussed with the defendant personally whether he wanted to waive his right to file motions, and the defendant uh, waived his right to file motions, which had a consequence, uh, you know, in the case. The second uh, reason that uh, the additional time granted for preparation of pretrial motions is automatically excluded is that the exclusion in Section H1D for delay resulting from pretrial motions themselves excludes the time that a Court grants the non-moving party to prepare a response. And uh, as Justice Ginsburg uh, in her questions uh, suggested, it would make little sense automatically to exclude time granted to respond to motions, but not the time granted for the specific purpose of preparing them. In fact, this Court uh, employed similar reasoning to that in the Henderson case when it held that the Act excludes the time after a Court Um, has held a hearing on a motion while the court's awaiting further written submissions. And the Court reasoned that it would make no sense not to exclude that time because the Act excludes uh, all the time before the hearing as well as 30 days after a motion is taken under advisement. And likewise, it would make no sense not to exclude time that's specifically granted to prepare motions uh, when the Court excludes the time granted to respond to them. Third,
7: except for the for the language, which which says that you you time it from the uh, beginning of the uh, time granted.
6: Well, section section H uh, one, your honor, expressly states that it excludes delays, including but not limited to the listed delays. So no negative inference arises from the fact that the listed examples don't uh, specifically address delays resulting from the grant of additional Motion's preparation time. Section H1D is addressing uh, a related but different uh, delay, the delay from uh, the pretrial motion itself.
7: Oh, wh- what's the effect of that language then? Why didn't D just read delay resulting from any pretrial motion?
6: Because Congress specifically amended it in 1979 in response to previous interpretations by some courts that had excluded only the time that was spent in actual court hearings, and the language makes clear that all the time from the filing of the motion through the hearings, including the, uh, not just the court hearing time, is excluded. And it, the language uh, continues to, to make that clear, even if preparation time is also sometimes excluded.
4: Council. Do you disagree with your adversary that there is no statute of limitations problems if we rule against you? Uh,
6: No, I I don't think that there are statute of limitations problems, Your Honor. But requiring judges to make superfluous ends of justice findings. um, But is it
4: superfluous? Because what your adversary is saying is that Congress wanted district courts to think about why some things were being, additional time was being requested not all motions by defendants can, would a District Court actually feel were warranted and might say to that individual if they came in, look, that shouldn't take you three weeks. That should only take you a week.
6: Well, the Court should always be doing that uh, in considering whether to grant uh, additional time that's requested, Your Honor. Neither the defendant nor the public uh, is going to have an interest in rushing to trial without adequate time to prepare.
4: But that doesn't answer my point. Without a requirement that the judge actually has to make a finding in the interest of justice, once the defense attorney comes in and says, I want a month, and isn't the judge required to give him the month because it's automatically excludable? What otherwise forces the judge to look at the request and say, no, is it really in the interest of justice for me to give you that the,
6: the judge doesn't have to give him the additional time. Presumably the judge should only give him the, the additional time if more time is needed to prepare the, the motions based on the, the justification that suspended. So, what, that so what
4: additional requirements are we posing on the judge that the statute itself doesn't command? Well, if The but, judge always has to listen to the reason, weigh it, determine whether or not it is in fact in the interest of justice or not. How much more burden are we putting on a judge than to say, look, you're right, you need a month.
6: The judge, I exclude
4: it under 7H.
6: The judge has to specifically consider uh, all of the specified factors that are in b We've never required
4: the judge to, to give a litany of each of the factors under H7. We've never required him or her to do a detailed finding. We've just required them to say there's some reason for it.
6: Well, the, the court, the, the statute says the, that the judge shall consider the specific factors, and uh, some courts at least have, uh, have reversed uh, if uh, situations where the court hasn't uh, considered the factors. Uh, in addition, there have to be specific ends of justice findings, which um, I would uh, respectfully uh, disagree uh, with uh, counsel on the other side. The findings have to be made. Um, before the continuance is granted, what Zedner, that's what
4: Sedner seems to say. What Sedner
6: says is the findings have to be made um, before the continuance is granted. They can be recorded later, but they have to be made because otherwise the continuance isn't um, made on the basis of the findings. So if a judge didn't go through, consider the factors, and make the findings, if only in the judge's mind, then the judge shouldn't be recording them uh, Mr. later on. And
7: counsel wouldn't know until. I not know whether the time was excluded or not until until a later finding is, is either made or not. is made. recorded. I guess, I, I guess not, Your
8: Honor. Um, may, may I ask you, Mr. Roberts, to comment on your opponent's argument that you're creating a rule that, that if the particular district has a standing order that motions be filed after seven days, and another district has standing order to be 21 days. The effect of your rule would be to make the seven day district an 86 day, even 86 days under the Speedy Travel Act. Uh,
6: yes, Your Honor. The, the, the Act just doesn't uh, operate uh, so, that, so that all the, dis- the excludable delays are even uh, across districts. The exclusion in Section H1D, uh, the exclusion for pretrial motions, Uh, excludes the time that's allotted to prepare responses. And there's wide variation among the different districts in the time that's allotted to prepare responses. So, um, for example, the Northern District of Florida gives 14 days after the motion. The Northern District of Illinois gives 10 days after the motion. That's the
8: response time. For response time. And that's automatically excluded, so that won't affect the uh, well like you said it's, it's going to be
6: different yeah so it's the same it's the same issue they're they're just it, isn't it's a in difference lockstep.
8: specifically authorized by congress
6: well this is specifically authorized by congress too because section h1 is a is a general exclusion for delay resulting from proceedings concerning the defendant um and uh you know these are the listed things are examples only uh and uh this covers those proceedings and uh, other proceedings, including those that, like this one, are ancillary to the listed But doesn't
8: it seem fairly clear that a, a district which has a 21-day rule, they won't have to, m- normally they won't need extra time in the routine case for an extra motion, whereas a district with a seven-day rule would pretty automatically need another <laughs> 10 days or so.
6: I think it depends on the, the particular case uh, and what motions are in, or what motions are, uh, are involved, Your Honor. But uh, the the rule is going to operate different, differentially, too, uh, under petitioner's theory. People come in asking for, for different extensions of times and get H uh, seven continuances, which uh, petitioner says are not going to be very diff- difficult uh, to get granted. So I think both in terms of the response time varying and in, in terms of of the rule having the same effect, whether it's excluded under H-1 or H-7, I'm not sure that you're going to ever get uh, complete parity. That's really not what Congress was intending.
0: Counsel, this this may be the same question I was asking earlier, but I want to make sure I've got your answer. Um, Let's say the original date for filing motions is, as it was here, September 13th, right? On September 7th, uh, Mr. Bloat asks for additional time. Say the judge is — you know, runs a tight ship and he says, I will give you one day, one more day, so it's now due on September 14th, you would say the delay resulting from that extension was seven days from September 7th when he filed it to September 14th, and not one day. That's That's the
6: way the courts have interpreted it, because once the the, uh, determination has been made that there should be time uh, to prepare a response, then you know that you're outside of the case where you don't know whether any of this time in the routine deadline is being used uh, for response, for consideration of motions or preparation of motions. You know that council is using time for that purpose. But I, I would say, you know, the same answer back to you, that, it, that the issue here is whether uh, a, additional time should, uh, is excluded. Uh, when it's granted. uh, The issue isn't how much time should have been excluded. Uh, And uh, if if the Court thinks that an incorrect amount of time has been, uh, was calculated as excluded, uh, I think that the appropriate thing uh, to do in that circumstance would uh, be for the Court to leave that open on remand, assuming that it's, uh, that it's preserved. But, uh, you know, I think that, that and you the, would
2: argue it wasn't reserved because both sides thought the period was from September 7th until October 4th, and one thought that that whole period should be excluded. That was your position. And the other side said that. None.
6: That's right, Your Honor. I, 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 petitioners never argued, as, at least as far as I'm aware, that uh, the error was a miscalculation of the amount of time rather than uh, the exclusion of the time under the wrong statutory uh, provision. How
9: how do you think it should work? It seems to me they're two separate things. On September 7th, the defendant comes in and says, Judge, you've told me I have to have everything ready by the 13th. I would like additional time to prepare, and what he said was, until September 25th. He said that on the 13th. I want until September 25th. This is what I think the Chief Justice has asked it in part. Now, what the judge did is he excluded everything from September 7th all the way to October 4th. And while I understand your argument, I'm not sure I agree with it, but, I mean, on on the 7th to the 13th, that that really wasn't additional time, but nonetheless, maybe there's something there. What about the period from the 25th to the 4th? I don't know what the theory could be on excluding that one, because what what the defendant said on the 7th, September 13th, he said, Judge, I don't want any more time. I don't even want to file any motions on the twenty-fifth. Yeah, on I've, the twenty-fifth, he said that. So, what's the basis of excluding the twenty-fifth to the fourth?
6: As I was saying before, what he did make a filing on the twenty-fifth, and the court uh, took action in response to that uh, filing on uh, the fourth by holding a hearing at, at which he waived the motions, as he indicated that he was doing uh, on the twenty uh, on the twenty-fifth.
0: So. So the delay. So saying I'm not going to file any pretrial motions results in delay from, the, from a pretrial motion?
6: Well, in this particular instance, Your Honor, he made a filing and then the court uh, it, 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 the court held a hearing in response to that uh, and uh, actually engaged in a colloquy with the defendant, asked the, def- asked the defendant, do you understand what you're giving up? Do you want to waive these motions? Uh, he said, yes, I want to do that, and the Court ruled on that on the 4th. Is so
4: that a normal course of practice? I, I've never quite heard of other
6: I, I, I don't think it's a general practice, Your Honor. Uh, it does seem to be uh, typical in this, uh, in this uh, district, but I think that, that, that
4: the Courts view a decision or statement that no motions are going to be Filed as a request for a waiver of that obligation. Well, it was
6: in fact a a waiver notice, a a notice of intent to waive that the defendant filed,
4: not just intent to waive.
6: uh, um, Well, I mean, it was framed as a waiver, um, uh, waiver of pretrial motions. uh, It's docket entry 21, but I don't think uh, it's uh, you know it's in the record, but not in the in the J. Well, I didn't
4: see it as a motion. It didn't move to waive. It said, "I waive."
6: That's that's true, but the court didn't the court uh, held the hearing on the fourth uh, and uh, it engaged in this conversation with the defendant and made, then made a decision on the fourth that the time was waived, that the that the, so, the so maybe you waiver get the not period. not at the time it was filed.
9: I just want to understand it. You get the period from the thirteenth twenty-fifth to the fourth comes under D or H. It's a motion that's filed and it's under advisement. Mm-hmm. I think that the — So it comes under D or H. Is that right? It comes under —
6: probably comes under H1, Your Honor. I don't — I mean, I don't mean little H1.
9: I mean big H. It's attributable to a period during which any proceeding is actually under advisement. Or maybe it comes under D. A motion not to file a motion is a motion — I mean, it could come under D, Your Honor.
6: It could come under H1. I I would say it really comes under uh, most — best fits under H1 as analogous to a — to a motion uh, that's not exactly a motion, but, uh, you know, either way, uh, the point is that it was something that the court uh, required the court action, or at least as the court had set the rules in this proceeding, required court action, and then it did ultimately have court action uh, on the 4th. Can uh, you
8: repeat that just so, so I have your theory. It comes under H1, what's, what's up?
6: I, I think just under, I, I would say, Your Honor, just under the general language of H1, uh, because it's not strictly a pretrial motion, but it's uh, the equivalent of a, of a pretrial motion. But you, you could say that it falls under, under H1D and think of it as a, a motion itself.
4: Do you have any idea of how many, if we rule against you, it's always a big hypothetical, um, how many convictions would be at risk of i i couldn 't say vacation.
6: precisely your Honor, but it is the rule that 's been followed uh in in aid courts of appeals
4: uh, but it and, contund- not everybody invokes a speedy trial act violation objection
6: no that 's true that's true i, I mean i can 't say that they're going to be and and I would have to agree uh with uh with petitioner's counsel that uh you know that there are consequences in whatever ruling that the court uh, that the court makes in a I case would have
4: been, I would have been interested in knowing the effects of Sedner yeah I'm, and how what kind of burden it placed
6: I'm sorry, I don't have any precise, uh, precise information on that, but I think that you know even apart from the transitional effects that there are going to be uh, on a going forward basis. Sometimes judges are going to would would grant additional preparation time and neglect to make the required finding. But that's
4: true of all speedy trial actions by the district court. They they always run the risk of forgetting to make a finding. That's why you have two attorneys, presumably.
6: That's that's right, Uh, and and that would be perfectly appropriate if findings under H seven were necessary. But section H one is designed to address frequently recurring situations in which the ends of justice are virtually always going to be uh, served by uh, delaying the trial for the purpose. And that's exactly what we have here. Can I ask
7: you about the language of H-1? Do you think, it, do you think it's proper to, to consider a period of delay that precedes the filing of a motion? That is a period of delay in order to prepare the motion as a delay resulting from a proceeding that has not yet occurred.
6: No, we, we agree with that, Your Honor. That's why um, Petitioner is wrong in saying that D addresses the delay we're talking about here and precludes its recognition under under H-1. The delay we're talking about here is not resulting from the pretrial motion. It's resulting from the a grant of the order granting additional time um, to prepare for the motion. And that. Uh, that is the, a, a related but different um, proceeding and a different kind of delay um, related to motions practice. So I, I would agree with Your Honor. The, the that's grant kind of the, of the motion Deolunius.
7: is the proceeding.
6: The, the, the order granting the additional time right. is the proceeding. It's the proceeding. And it, the delay results from that order, uh, and the order is ancillary to a listed proceeding, which is the pretrial motions, because it facilitates that proceeding. Uh, because uh, it uh, provides for adequate preparation, which enables the motions to be
8: resolved fairly and accurately. But, but what what subsection does all this? I, I really, I got lost in Okay, I'm, I'm sorry, Your Honor. Because you agree, as I understand, that it is not covered by D. Right. And, and what subsection does
6: cover it? It's H-1, the general uh, provision, which courts have used to exclude
8: uh, numerous. But uh, it's not covered by any. Lettered subsection.
6: No, it's it's a another proceeding that uh, that is covered by the including, but not limited to. The there's language no
8: period. In H-1. No, no subpar talks about a, another proceeding. That's just your gloss on the statute. Is that well, right? Well,
6: I think H. One says any period of delay resulting from other proceedings concerning the defendant. That could be a period, and it covers a whole range of proceedings that generate delay and uh, then I see then there's a list of examples and the examples are intended to only be illustrative and what what's covered is in addition to those examples other proceedings that are analogous or ancillary to them and, and well you,
7: and you say the order is a proceeding for, for that purpose the order granting the extension of time
6: that's that's the proceeding beforehand okay. your honor oh. yes um, but uh, it the that's not, uh, you know, first of all, as I said, a proceeding is a, a, uh, is an act uh, done by the Court or under the Court's authority, so an order fits squarely within that. Plus, I would direct you to H1F, which indicates that orders can be proceedings here because it excludes uh, delay following an order of removal or an order directing the uh, transportation of the defendant. Um, and so I think that there's uh, indication in the, in the examples themselves, that orders are sometimes proceedings.
8: But just one quick glance. It seems to me that everything described in 7A would fit your description of proceeding. It uh,
6: there w- and there would be an order, so there would be a proceeding. But it wouldn't be a proceeding that would be covered under H1 because it would to be covered. It has to be a proceeding of the type that's listed here. It has to be uh, analogous to these proceedings or uh, ancillary to them, facilitating these proceedings in some way, Your Honor.
8: It's a tough (laughs) argument. Thank
0: Thank you, you. counsel. Uh, Mr. Stansel, five minutes.
1: I'd like to quickly address what I hope to be just four points. The first is the government's fundamental principle, or their fundamental tenet is that the specific treatment of pretrial motions in subparagraph D suggests no negative inference or limiting inference on the general standard in H-1. The flaw in that is evident by looking at subparagraph H, which automatically excludes up to 30 days during which a matter is under advisement by the district court. If the government's reasoning is correct, subparagraph H just does not address or contains or suggests no negative inference on whether the 31st day of a matter being under advisement is automatically excludable under H-1. That's why there are settled canons of statutory interpretation. We take the general standard. First of all, is it a proceeding? There's no pretrial motion proceeding until the motion is filed. Second, if you think there's any uncertainty as to what a proceeding is, well, look at how the enumerated subparagraphs that follow. What what do they describe? One specifically addresses pretrial motions. It has a starting point, and it has an end point. That's the end of this case. But even if you think you want to look further, well, is there any support in these enumerated subparagraphs for the government's rule that you would treat a defense request for additional time differently? No. None of the enumerated subparagraphs distinguishes between defense requests and government requests. None distinguishes between routinely granted time or specifically allotted time. In fact, with respect to defense requests specifically, it was not lost on Congress how to to treat government counsel and defense counsel differently. In H7C, which is about the ends of justice exclusion, it specifies that, you, that the government cannot get an ends of justice exclusion based on its uh, un- inability to exercise due diligence in obtaining a witness or preparing. I, I, don't
7: understand. I don't understand the government to be, argue, to be arguing that they're treated differently. Well, the government's rule, I think. They're, they're saying whoever, whoever asks for the extension of time in order to prepare the, uh, the motion gets it, and, and it's, uh, the, the time is suspended.
1: That, that's not their position in their brief, Your Honor. They say that defense requests for additional time, well, that they don't say anything about they've government They've made it
7: very request. clear here that that they think it applies to both the, the defendant and the government.
1: If that's their position, it's even more unmoored from the text of subparagraph D, because then both types of requests, uh, so subparagraph, pardon me, so H-1's general standard is expanded even farther. Anyway, he has
9: a special time limit built into it. I mean, H uh, or whatever the number is now. It says not to exclude 30 days,
1: okay? Yes.
9: None of the others do. So I'd say that right there, Congress doesn't want the judge to have it for more than 30 days. Congress doesn't say a word in any of the others that says anything about preparation time.
1: Well, I disagree about subparagraph D, Your Honor. D says from point B, the final. No, no,
9: I know, but there's not an indication about preparation time. Their argument is a literal argument under the statute. Is it from other proceedings? Yes, we know that because of D. Okay. Does it result from other proceedings? Yes, because, in fact, the preparation time is a direct result of the other proceedings as defined in D. Therefore, it is an ancillary matter related to other proceedings that was caused by the other proceedings, QED. Their argument is literal and there's no policy against it. That's what they said. Now, as soon as you get to the flask, H, you'd find a big policy against it, called not exceeding 30 days. Now, I take it that's but roughly their argument. But there is at least no, my interpretation.
1: Of there is no difference, Your Honor, between not exceeding 30 days and from and to. And I think this is, this case comes down to that and that alone, which is Congress specifically addressed pretrial motions, delay any delay resulting from a pretrial motion, and it said from point A to point B. And even if you had to look behind that, you would look at the legislative history, and the Senate Judiciary Committee was asked the specific question by the government, no less. Can we include preparation time? And they said no.
0: Counsel, is your friend correct that the issue of the proper calculation is not before us? So that the time I spent figuring that out should be excluded from something?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, As the question was presented, Your Honor, it it was specific to preparation time and and the period. But... And, and the period from, I don't want to get the dates wrong, but uh, September 7th to October 4th. But I would add that the, the government didn't raise this argument below either, nor did the government suggest, as I understand it, that uh, that, that the delay that's at issue here results from the, the grant on September 7th of additional time. Rather, the, their argument, as I have understood it and understood it when reading their briefs, is that the Delay that is the ancillary delay stems from the pretrial motion, uh, the time allotted for pretrial motions itself.
0: But I, I would have thought that whether or not you think that type of delay is excludable depends upon what that type of delay is, which requires some sense of how it's going to be calculated.
9: Yes, Your Honor. I, I, six days make a difference to your case. If they lose six days, do you win?
1: I'm not sure, Your Honor. I, I'm, I would have to I plead ignorance the same.
0: Thank you, counsel. This case is submitted. But before we rise uh, uh, for the afternoon, I would like to note that we're very pleased to have visiting with us uh, today President Augusto uh, Ibanez and other members of the Colombian Supreme Court. Welcome. Thank you.
2: The Honorable Court is now adjourned until tomorrow at 10 o'clock.